I don't know how you choose which book of the Bible you're going to look at next, but I have a tendency to overthink uh, lots of things, and that is also including what I'm going to read next. And so often I would have spent too much time, like, should it be this, or have I read that too recently? Am I too much in the New Testament and not in the Old? And so a while ago I came up with a silly idea that I've actually loved, and it's been really helpful. I sat one day and I typed out every single, the title of every book of the Bible, all 66. I chopped them up and I put them in a bag. And then when I finished one book of the Bible, I do a lucky dip. And it might sound very unspiritual, but I love it. And I do it with God. And I got this lovely feeling of when I'm doing it of like, God, what have you got for me next? How are you going to feed me next? And what's been brilliant about it has been um, really acknowledging in a new way. You know, it says in the book of uh, 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And I've really experienced that as I've been um, picking out these different books and finding that in every single one of them, God has had something to say. Occasionally, when I pull out the title, if I know a bit about that book, I might get a little bit of a gulp (laughs) where I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you going to say through this book? And that was the experience when a couple of months ago, I pulled out the book of Lamentations. Now, I don't know how well you know the book of Lamentations, but the clue is in the name. It's a book of lament. Oh, be thankful that this book has five chapters long, because even though God can speak through it, five chapters of lamenting is about as much as you can do. I read it, and I was so surprised at how much it got under my skin, how much it spoke to my heart. And really simply this morning, I just want to look at three things that we can learn from the book of Lamentations. And if you're not feeling particularly in a lamenty type place at the moment, don't worry because the book of Lamentations actually teaches us more than just that. But before we get into those three lessons, let's just look at a little quick bit of background to the book. So most scholars think that the the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. It's his voice that we hear. And what had happened is that for a long time, God's prophets had been saying to the people, you need to repent. You need to turn back to me. You need to worship me and honor me. You need to stop following the practices of some of the other nations around you. It's time to return to me with all your heart. And for those of you that are either parents or you've seen people parenting, you'll know that, um, and you're not meant to do it this way, but you're meant to let your word be your word. So when you're telling them off, if you say like, this is the last time I'll say it, you're meant to mean it. But because we love them dearly, um, and probably other reasons too, often it's like, I mean it, I've said it, I'm going to do it, I really mean it. And because God is a good parent, he just kept giving his people another chance He kept saying, listen to me, listen to me, but they didn't. And so eventually all that had prophesied came to be. The Babylonian army invaded Jerusalem and ransacked it, destroyed the city wall, tore down the temple, took away all of the the treasure that was in the temple, ruined the land, and then carried most of God's people into exile away from their land. And what was left was a few people and just utter devastation. Famine, there was no crops, it had all been destroyed. Starving people, horror. And the horror wasn't just about the fact that they didn't have stuff. 
the horror was around. This was the land that God had given them. And so when the temple, when the city wall was destroyed, it was so symbolic of this, this special place, this holy place that God had promised you, it's ruined. And the temple, the place where God himself dwelled, ransacked, destroyed, their very way of accessing God, of worshipping him, of knowing him, that had also been taken from them. And for five chapters, and they are brutal, for five chapters, this guy just pours out this poem of lament. If you come across a poem in the Bible, um, it could be helpful to know that often what that is, is it's about the heart. When, um, if, so it's like a heart response, either God's if he's speaking or a person if they're speaking. So this is not like a historical factual account. You can read that in two Kings. This is a heart response to the horror. And I'm just going to give you an example. So this is chapter two, verse 11 to 12. The prophet says this, all her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasure for food to keep themselves alive. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like wounded men in the street of the city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. So that gives you a glimpse. Like I said, not cheery, but nevertheless, it's going to feed us. So let's look at three things we can learn from the book of Lamentations. And the first thing, let's start with the obvious, is the book of Lamentations teaches us to lament. Now, lament is not grief. Um, Lament is an expression of grief. It's a way of giving voice to our pain that is already in any way, and it is taking the time with God and before God to pour that out. And the book of Lamentations teaches us this is a good and right thing to do. In the same way that in other places in the Bible, lots of other places, it tells us that it's good and right to pour out our praise, this book teaches us it's also good and right to pour out our pain. And when I think back to when everything happened with COVID 18 months ago, we didn't grieve then, partly because we didn't know how much we would have to grieve. We were in shock. You know, even a few weeks before Boris's announcement to stay at home, we were just like, what is this thing? It all felt very far away. And then suddenly it turned around really fast. You know, we knew that schools were closing. We knew that, you know, that, that announcement from now on, you need to stay at home. And we didn't grieve it. Like I said, we were in shock. We had no like, paradigm for this. We, none of us had ever been there before. And so we were just kind of like caught up in that. And also, because we'd never been there before, there was a certain amount of adrenaline that kicked in that kind of energized us for that first lockdown, if you remember back to it, and everybody making their sourdough batches and banana bread and, you know, walking around the block once a day. I still remember getting the house ready when we were told that schools were closing, getting the house ready for home learning and putting certain things away and getting moving furniture, that sort of thing. And there was actually, yeah, a bit of energy around that. (laughs) Little did I know. But so there was no grief then. What I found in like recent weeks as things have got, I know we're not quite back to normal, but so, so much so, what I found is that grief has been bubbling up in me now in this season. It's like grieving now for what we didn't know to grieve then. 
So that first, um, we had a service here on the Monday the 19th when restrictions changed. And it was the first time we could worship in song together without our masks on or with them. But, um, and I loved it. And also, I grieved. So I just loved worshipping with you guys, but I also just felt the sorrow of not being able to do that for the last 18 months. And then it'll catch me unawares, like watching a TV program. I've been watching Clarkson's Farm, which I know quite a few of you have been watching. If you can deal with the swearing, it's a really good, really good program. Um, And it was filmed over a long period of time. And so about halfway through, we get to March last year. And suddenly they show a clip of Boris's big announcement and they show pictures of the streets deserted and I found myself crying as it took me back there. And the good thing about lamenting is it doesn't have an expiry date. You don't have to have done it then. But sometimes we need to make space to lament. I've got a friend and she took some time, even fairly recently, to sit and to write a list of every bit of loss from the last 18 months. To write down every small, every big thing that had been painful. And she didn't do it to tell anyone about it or to publish it on Instagram. She just did it for herself and before the Lord. And that's what it is to lament, to take time to express grief. And I don't actually think we're very good at it. I think we fall instead into two other traps. The one is the fake positivity, putting on a false smile, saying it's all okay, even though it's really not. We might fall into that trap, or we might fall into the trap of just moaning. Moaning is so unproductive. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't change our heart. It doesn't actually lead us to the Lord necessarily, And lament is different to that because lament is productive. Lament takes us to him. And as we take the time to pour out our grief, he meets us there and heals us there. Jesus himself lamented, the only perfect one. He lamented, it says this in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like a fake positivity would have um, led Jesus to be going like, yay, Jerusalem, keep going, we'll get there in the end. And moaning would have just caused Jesus to say, like through gritted teeth, Jerusalem, you're so irritating. But lamenting meant that he paused what he was doing. He stopped and he gave voice to his pain and grieved what he saw. And so the book of Lamentations and Jesus and other places in the Bible, it teaches us that sometimes we need to make the time to let our grief out. That's the first thing that Lamentations can teach us. The second thing it can teach us is to connect with our heart, with our circumstances today, and to connect with God in our today. So to connect with our heart and with God today. If you read the book of Lamentations, you'll see that nearly all of it is written in the present tense. There's a little bit of going back to the past, of remember when it was like this. There's a little bit of, oh God, will you... (laughs) 
But most of it is just eyes wide open. This is what I see. This is what is going on around me. And if you'd asked the prophet Jeremiah in the middle of that book, how are you doing, Jeremiah? He knew the answer. He was devastated, utterly devastated. He wasn't um, numbing himself or distracting himself. He wasn't looking elsewhere. He was like, this is how I'm doing. I'm ruined by this. This is awful. This is the worst thing that I could have imagined, and it's happening. And in that, he was fully connected to what he saw in front of him, and he was fully connected to God, even though that was painful. And so my question is, how are you today? How are you today? Are you full of hope? Are you stressed? Are you joyful? Are you in pain? And are you talking to God about that? Are you connected to what is going on in your world and in the world today? Not so much taken up with the past, not too much obsessed with the future, but what is going on in you today? I notice in my life that there is a cycle that if I get disconnected from God and I stop just talking to him about um, whatever is going on in my today, I very quickly get disconnected from myself. And so I start to behave in a way that even I don't understand. I don't get why I'm irritated by this or upset about that, or I get disconnected. That's the bad news, but I've also noticed the good news is, is that when I'm connected with him, I'm connected with my heart. When I'm in conversation with him and observing with him and praying with, um, to him over the things that I'm seeing around me, then I understand so much more what is going on in myself. And we see this example in Lamentations, this connection with right now in the present and with God in that. And so if we want to follow this example and choose it, how do we do it? It's exactly that. It's we stay in conversation with God. We stay connected with him. We ask him, show me my heart. I love that verse in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. We choose to draw close. Don't keep him at a distance. You know, the danger is, is when life is busy and overwhelming as it has been, that we just soldier on, you know, and that in soldiering on, we so often disconnect. We just head down, get it done. And the call from God is don't soldier on, nestle in, come close, talk to me and let me speak to you about what is happening I remember that there was a point, I don't know at what point, but there was a point in lockdown where God began to speak to me about that promise from Romans 8 where he says that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's you and me. All things. And I remember really going, well, God, I can't see you at work right now, but I know you're putting that verse front and center for me. So I'm just going to hold on to that in faith. I'm just going to trust that even though I I personally am not getting anything out of this season, but I'm going to trust that you're at work. I'd say for me personally, as an individual, I'm yet to see, but I tell you what, for us as a church family, I'm beginning, we're beginning to see what the Lord has been up to in that season. Amazing stories, and they're not my stories to tell, but really, really briefly, I met a a young woman a few weeks ago who was from a a family of a different faith. She didn't know Jesus at all, had no knowledge of him, 
but she started searching for him. She lost five family members and through that pain, she began searching for him. And of course she found him. He was already searching for her and she's come into a relationship with him. She's part of our church family. I have spoken to and heard about others that have been joining our services online with no other knowledge of God or us. Um, And yet they just started watching and through that God has drawn them and now we're back in the building. They're meeting here. They're meeting him, more importantly. I know that one of them for sure has become a Christian. They're part of our connect groups, which are our family, you know, one of the ways that we do family life together. That was happening uniquely in that season. And you can bet that just as much as there's been great stuff happening behind the scenes in our family, God is at work today, right now, in our family, and he's at work right now in you. That's who he is. And Lamentations teaches us, don't get too focused on what was or what is, but recognize that today, God is at work. How are you doing? Have that conversation with God. And then the third thing that Lamentations teaches us is to make God our focus. So right in the middle of this book are these amazing verses. Lamentations 3, 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you took the book of Lamentations and folded it in half, you would find these verses pretty much at the centre, right at the heart. And that wouldn't have been a mistake. Nothing is a mistake in God's word. And it's like through placing that in the centre, God is reminding us, the writer is showing us, this is what counts. He is what counts. We need to somehow, in the same way, fold our lives in around him so that he is the focus, the center point, the one that we, our eyes are drawn to. If we don't have that, you know, this idea of him being at the center, I hate camping, like loathe it. You will never find me camp camping. But the best example I can think of it is like a tent without that central tent pole is a disaster zone. If you go camping and you pack everything else, but you leave the poles at home, you know from the beginning you are doomed. Let me tell you, if you're going camping in this country, you're doomed anyway, but some of you are going to do it. But it's, if you leave that out, it doesn't work. If we don't make... God, the focus, the one who we build our lives around, the one who holds up everything, then we're in trouble. And what Lamentation says is put him at the center, and then it shows us how through those verses. He says, yet this will I call to mind, yet. Such a powerful word. You find it loads of places in the Bible. There's an amazing one in the book of Habakkuk, which I haven't got time to look into. (coughs) Excuse me. If you look at Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 18, you'll see that. What the word yet says is it's not denying that things are hard as it was there. It's saying there's another truth. There's a bigger truth. I remember a few years ago, I had um, my tonsils taken out and I had a a really bad post-tonsillectomy bleed and I lost, you know, bowlfuls of blood. And I remember being in the ambulance, being really scared. When I saw the amount of blood that was coming out of me, I knew that that was not meant to happen. It's meant to stay in. I remember being really scared. And yet, I knew my friend, the Lord, was in the ambulance with me. I knew it. I knew he was for me. I knew I was bleeding, and yet, 
And that's what that word tells us. And yet, this I call to mind. And that is a deliberate decision. This I call to mind. I'm going to choose to remember. I'm going to choose to refocus on this. That the Lord is compassionate. That the Lord's love is great. That he is faithful in all circumstances. And what it tells us, it says, this I'll call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. That recalling and that remembering and that refocus is the thing that is going to fuel our hope. When we've got hope, anything is possible. When we've got hope in him, we're going to recall it. We're going to, we're going to bring it to our mind. This is who he is. He is loving. He is faithful. And his compassion for us is new every morning. And every morning, Jeremiah was waking up to horror. But equally, and more than every morning, he was waking up to a faithful God, a compassionate God, a loving God. And the same is true for you. My husband, Joel, is into like exterior design, like garden design and that kind of, I don't know if there's a word for it, exterior architecture. And one of the things that I've been learning from him as we've been talking about it is there's a way of planting a garden and constructing an outdoor space that your eye is drawn to the thing that the gardener wants your eye to be drawn to. And I came across this picture uh, on the news a few months back. And this was like actually an act of like vandalism or graffiti or whatever the word is. That It just sprung up overnight. People don't know who did it. I think it's in the Peak District. I love how it focuses the eye. And what the book of Lamentations tells us is there is a way that we can build our life so that our eye is drawn to him. How do we do that? There are lots of ways. As we finish, I just want to highlight a few of them. Andy, a few weeks ago, spoke brilliantly about what it is to remind ourselves and each other of the stories of God's faithfulness, the stories of his provision That's one of the ways that we recall, that we refocus, is by telling those stories. This is who he is. This is what he's done in my life. We do that as we read the word, as we stew over it and reflect on it and feed ourselves with the truth of who he is. We do it as we live in conversation with him. Not just a little prayer at the beginning or end of the day, but like doing life with him, open to him, listening to him, telling him, asking him. No, one of the most powerful ways that we do it is we do it as we worship him through song. It's one of the, one of the reasons why it's been so painful that we haven't been able to do it. When we sing songs, we remind our heart, we teach and encourage our heart. And sometimes we sing songs because we mean the words, and sometimes we sing songs until we mean the words. And either one is good. <laughs> it's we remind ourselves of who he is. But ask the Holy Spirit, keep showing me that faithfulness. Keep showing me that love. Put him at the center. Refocus. That is not denying our present that may well be messy, may well be painful, and may well be brilliant. It's not denying that. It's saying, you are bigger. You are worth more. I want to focus on you more than my circumstances. So, Lamentations teaches us that it is good to express our grief. If it's in, let's let it out before him. And some of you might need to know that. Lamentations teaches us to be present to today. How are you feeling 
How are you today? To be doing that with God and recognizing that there are things that he wants to uniquely be doing in this season. And Lamentations also teaches us to make God our focus. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his love. Amen.